Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL. Get in the know. Non-stop Vikings talk. It's Purple Daily on Score North and scorenorth.com. We've got some exclusive footage from the Metadome last night. Snow leaking in the roof, and the roof collapsed this morning. No question the game cannot be played there for more in the mess of Minnesota. Why don't we go live to the Metrodome and Pam Oliver to get the latest. Pam? Well, Kurt, we were just allowed in the building not too long ago, and it is just something to see. I've never seen anything quite like it, that huge hole that you see behind me. Well, that's a breach that occurred around 5 o'clock in the morning. Crews have been out here trying to start the repairs, but you kind of wonder what for. Actually, the game has been moved to Detroit. It will be played at 7 o'clock tomorrow night. The Vikings can uh, finally host their uh, game against the New York Giants. Now, there was an attempt to get this game played at the University of Minnesota, but because it takes so much time to clear the field, they decided against that and instead have moved to Detroit at 7 o'clock Eastern Time. Hey folks, welcome back to Tales from 2010, a Viking season like no other. I'm Brian Murphy, former writer and columnist at the St. Paul Pioneer Press. Glad to be joined again by Judd Zolgad of Score North, who in 2010 was in his swan song year covering the Vikings for the Star Tribune, and Declan Goff, who was a senior in high school and had the world by the tail and probably didn't even know it. Um, We're back for episode three, Old Man Winner's Last Laugh. So when we left off in episode two, Brad Childress had just gotten fired, and the Vikings were in obvious disarray at three and seven, fighting on the sidelines. Nobody knew who was in charge, very rudderless. And in comes Leslie Frazier, the defensive coordinator at the time, who finally gets his chance to be a head coach after being a candidate several times, stepping into not a very enviable position, taking over a team that was sort of a dead team walking. But little did anybody know, again, as this 2010 season of calamities advanced, so many things out of, you know, so much of Brad Childress's and Brett Favre and Randy Moss's storyline was all self-inflicted wounds. Leslie Frazier didn't deserve anything that was about to happen to him. He actually gets two quick wins against mediocre Arizona and Buffalo. Uh, or I'm sorry, against Washington and Buffalo. And then Favre injures his throwing shoulder December 5th at the Metrodome, putting his consecutive game streak 
on the line heading into a December 12th game at home against the New York Giants, except old man Winter had other ideas, as everybody remembers 10 years ago. The snow started, I think, around dinner time Friday and really didn't end until early Sunday morning. And by that time, not only had the Vikings game been moved from Sunday noon to Monday night, as the New York Giants were diverted to Kansas City because the airport was closed, mm-hmm. we all wake up Sunday morning to learn the Metrodome had caved in. I mean, the metaphor came true. The the roof literally caved in on the Vikings. Judd, where were you when you heard the news? It was only fitting, Murph. It was it was the most fitting thing of all time that the roof actually caved in on a season that long before that the roof had caved in on the year. I was at home, so. I got a tip from a source on Saturday night that the Vikings were being told that the Metrodome roof was leaking badly. So I called, I want to say I called Lester Bagley of the Vikings, who at that point in time was clearly in charge of trying to get them a new stadium. And I think it was, I talked to Bagley and he downplayed it and he said, yeah, there's a, there, there's a leak, but it's not, you know, geysering. It's not terrible. Um, and then I had been told that, that, uh, in a team meeting on Saturday night, Les Frazier had shared with the club that this might be bad, that the roof was indeed leaking badly, that they didn't know what was going to uh, take place. So I went to bed on Saturday, never expecting that we were talking about the roof collapsing, just to be clear, okay? Like I thought, oh, it's a bad leak, that might be a problem because there might be water on the field, not the entire roof might cave in. Um, I woke up at approximately probably 7 or 7.30 on Sunday to a text from our friend Kevin Seifert that said, are you watching the news? The roof just collapsed. And this was like oh, 5.30 God. in the morning. And I'm like, what? Because, again, it never occurred to me in my head, Murph, that the roof might like cave in. Like, I thought we were talking about a water problem here, right? Like, there's too much water on the turf to play. That's a problem. Not the entire roof might come down. So my day my day, and the next few days, as I'm sure was true for you as well, became absolute chaos at that point. I went downtown to the Star Tribune. Uh, I walked across the street as they were trying to decide or about to announce where the game was going to be played on Monday. Uh, I walked across the street, and they actually took us into the Metrodome press box through the bowels uh, to look at the caved-in roof. And then Chip Scoggins called me while I was in the Metrodome in the press box to say, the game has been moved. We've got to go to Detroit today. Um, And I remember my lasting impression from that day was my wife drove me downtown to the Strip. And I think it was because you basically couldn't park. Because no. there, there were just snow everywhere. And I called her back and I said, you've got to come back and get me. I've got to go to Detroit. And Murph, I kid you not, I remember I got in the passenger seat in front of the Star Tribune building on Portland at that time. I got in and I was almost like physically shaking. And I said, this is now all too much. Like this is now, this is now jumped a shark that is, there's no recovery from the bleeping roof of that stadium is collapsed, and I now have to fly to Detroit, Michigan. No, no offense, but I now have to fly to Detroit, Michigan on a Sunday uh, to go cover a game on Monday. Like that, that to me was 
the final straw of the craziness has now gone from, oh, wow, this is interesting to, oh, my God. There's no building to play in, right? Yeah. And, and again, the drama started, again, the previous evening when it, I think it was, you know, 7, 8 o'clock at night, something like that, when the announcement was made, you know, the, the, the airport's closed, the Giants are, are flying into Kansas City, they're not, we're not going to be able to play here at noon on Sunday. We're going to move the game to Monday night, which seemed, well, that's kind of interesting. That probably doesn't happen very often, but, you know, we'll figure it all out. And as you said, you know, we're all living here, too. And at the time, my wife was eight and a half months pregnant, uh, and we also had a 16-month-old girl. So we weren't moving. We weren't going anywhere at all. I We had two cars in the garage with an alley, and I, I didn't have a snowblower then. I mean, I wasn't going anywhere. So... Waking up Sunday morning, I don't know when it was, to the news that the roof had caved in and literally digging in at home for what was going to be a long day of writing and revising and chasing this story wherever it was going to lead, it was a blur to me. And what I also remember is by that night, once we had figured out, okay, we're going to Detroit, um, my wife ended up getting sick and going into what turned out to be premature labor. Now, you haven't lived the life of a guilty sports writer until you have piled your eight and a half months pregnant wife into a taxi to go to the hospital because you have to stay home with your daughter and finish off this damn story, wherever it's going, please don't give birth, Megan. Hopefully you'll get back soon. I'm sorry. I can't drive you, but we have 20 inches of snow on the ground. I finally called my boss. As you said, you were shaking. I said, I can't go to Detroit. I mean, I, it's just not going to happen. And I was the second guy on the beat. Jeremy Fowler was the main guy anyway. He and Powers went. They saved money anyway. But it was like, there is no way I'm leaving right now. I, I can't go. So I stayed back here and ended up covering more of the developments later in the week about TCF Bank Stadium. And lo and behold, you know, I'd never turned a free trip down to my hometown before, but I had no desire to be getting on a plane. And as I remember, and you guys would remember that too, the blizzard pretty much went to Michigan. Didn't it snow all day on Monday there as well? You know what? Thankfully, I don't remember at all. I don't remember <laughs> that one bit. Um, I just I re- recall going to the airport that night uh, on Sunday. It had reopened and sitting there uh, getting dinner with Chip. And we were just looking at each other like we had been punched. Like we were just, we're like, we're going to Detroit for a home game on a Monday and we're leaving on Sunday. And it was just the whole thing, Murph, had become so absolutely bizarre. And and if it had been the first weird thing, it would have been a pain, but it would have been the first weird thing. But it was as if, and this is where where that year to me was so different and, and in its own sick way special. It was as if the buildup had been there constantly, right? Like it had been one thing on top of another, on top of another, and now and now you have the roof collapsing. And I've always said that if if you were going to write a book about the 2010 Vikings, the appropriate title would be "And Then the Roof Collapsed" because it would have been perfect. Because it was the next, it was the next logical. Okay, something huge. There needs to be a climactic bleep up here. The roof collapses, but I do not recall one bit if it snowed or not in Detroit. I just know that we were in Detroit to see a Viking, in air quotes, home game against the Giants, and the Vikings had brought their PA guy, and they're stenciled in their Viking logo at the 50. And I do recall, though, Murph, 
the thing going into into the snowstorm as it became clear that it was going to become difficult, if not impossible, uh, to play the game at the Metrodome because the Giants couldn't get there was was the joke was is God buying Favre time? Because you know Favre was right. questionable to play or doubtful uh, to play on Sunday against the Giants, and before the roof collapsed, the thought process is, oh my God, they're going to play on Monday, perhaps at the Metrodome. Favre might start. And he's it, got thirty more hours, and I believe the streak was at two ninety seven, which is where it came to an end at that point. And I mean that streak, that streak at the time was a huge deal. Like that was a huge, huge storyline. So we all thought, oh my God, Brett's being bought more time here, and perhaps he can start. And he didn't. But that was the storyline until the roof caved in, and then it all changed. Yeah, he had been 297. I think Jim Marshall was 270, right, for the Ironman streak? Yeah, and it had been passed by, like, Jeff Fiegel's a punter, right? Right, like a punter but everybody knows that, you know, Fiegel wasn't a quote-unquote real player. Right. Still being a defensive lineman, I think that's it's criminal that he's not in the Hall of Fame simply because yeah. he played 270 <laughs> straight games as a defensive lineman. But Brett Favre had beaten that. This was the Cal Ripken-Lou Gehrig streak of football. And it was ongoing. And he had played uh, hurt a lot. 300 if this didn't happen. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think I remember you saying, Declan, at one point, you guys and your high school buddies, because mm-hmm. uh, my brother, uh, and my younger brother and my father, uh, you know, longtime Lions fans, when they heard that the, the this Vikings-Giants game was going to be at Ford Field for free, they said, yeah, what the hell? Let's go down there and watch some NFL football. We've got no skin in the game. It's not going to cost us anything. Let's go have some fun. And I thought, Declan, you had mentioned once that you were contemplating piling in a car with some of your buddies and and, and going. Yeah, so the timeline for me was, um, so that snowfall started on Saturday, like we were talked about, and my birthday was coming up, too, and I basically knew that we're, we're going to have a snow day on Monday. Like, we were going to have a snow day. That It was 18 inches of snow. It was inevitable. And we heard that the game got moved from Sunday to Monday. This is pre-the roof collapsing. So I hop on StubHub right away. The Viking season is in the tank. They're playing a giant. I believe they're going to play the Giants, right? Is that or, or yep. the Giants? Yeah. And no one really wants to go see the Giants. So tickets were already really cheap pre-roof collapsing. So once the news got announced it was going to be to Monday, I hopped on StubHub, bought like the cheapest nosebleed, you know, literally six, seven dollar Metrodome sweet cheap seat tickets, bought four of them. Because we thought, oh, great, we'll just we'll, we'll have the day off. This will be great. We'll, we'll go to a football game on Monday. This will be awesome. And then we wake, wake up the next day, figure out, I woke up to a call. I was probably still in bed till the crack of 10 or 11 a.m., like any other 17, 18-year-old kid would be. Um, and my buddy had called me, and he said, dude, are you watch same thing, are you watching the news? And I said, no, what's going on? He said, the Metrodome roof collapsed. So, and, and we don't like, what are we going to do with the game? And I was like, well, well, hold on, hold on here. Like, let's, maybe this will still work out. So then we get word that it's going to be played in Detroit. And at the time, Minnesota had that new law where a teenager could, a recent driver couldn't have more than one other kid in the car that was their age. I I think this is still a law. So like if if you're, you're 16, you turn 16, you get your license. I believe because of all the teen deaths and everything that happened in cars, you were only allowed to have one other person of your age in the car unless there was a parental guardian in the car. I don't know if this law still stands in Minnesota, but it was a law that really wasn't enforced too much, but my mother, who is, was such a rule follower, did enforce this rule. So when she heard that 
we were thinking about going to Detroit with three of my other buddies. She put a kibosh to it, and she said, well, if you get someone else to drive you there, go ahead. Go to Detroit. You're going to miss school. At, I mean, school's canceled. You may as well go. And we just we couldn't figure out the logistics. Obviously, then, like, like you said, Murph, that snowstorm had moved over into Wisconsin towards Michigan. Getting to Detroit by car, is, you, you could tell better that than me, Murph, that it's not very easy to get to Detroit because there's a flipping lake in the way. So you no, have to, it's 12 hours best, at best. You have, to, you have to go completely around. We weren't able to get the logistics out. But, yes, I had tickets to this game pre-roof collapse thinking that, oh, I'll get a Monday night cool one-off game. No. And then it almost turned into a 12-hour road trip. But wasn't able to go. But the, the stories of howling to get there is just like Judd said. It's, it's another chapter in this hilarious story. Your mom was very smart. I would not have allowed my kid to even contemplate getting out of the driveway <laughs> to go to Detroit for that thing. And with all that snow, um, and, and I believe that the story is, I, it was free to go, but I think they distributed tickets, Murph. And I want to, okay. and I want to say they distributed all of them. Um, my lasting impression was that I remember because they, they basically, so they made Ford field have metrodome rules. Ford field pregame for the media did not allow you onto the sideline pregame. Okay. But the Metrodome did. So we, we were allowed to go down on the sideline to watch pregame warm-ups, blah, blah, blah. And I remember I got down there, and I think I was checking on Favre. I got down there, and they opened the doors to the stadium as I got down there. And my lasting impression, I will not forget this until the day I die, was I'm looking up into the stands, and the first guy, and I don't know what his story was, the first guy uh, – to get into the lower bowl at Ford Field is running at like top speed. He of course hits a chair and goes flying. And so the first guy I saw, I'm not joking. He's running full speed. He hits a seat and his body is like going like Superman through the air until he crashes. And again, I thought to myself, this is so damn fitting. And I don't know I mean, if he was cold and homeless or if he was just really exuberant, but here's a human being flying through the air at Ford Field. Well, he's an NFL fan. I'm sure he was blown about a 2-4 by then. That's anyway, very possible. Ticket. Uh, but, yeah, it was, it was odd watching it on TV. Uh, you could tell the place had no life to it. I don't know how many fans ended up going. You know, how do you it, – it's, you know, the, the, the best – Case scenario for a neutral site football game is a bowl game or a Super Bowl, right? But if you're there and, you know, two teams that you have no vested interest in watching, it, it must be worse than an exhibition game as far as what the atmosphere was like. It was, um, it was, but it was bizarre too, Murph. It was so bizarre because it was just this one off. It's not supposed to be played there. The Vikings. By that point in time, and I don't blame them, didn't want to be there. The Giants didn't care. So, like, the Giants are like, well, we were going to go to Minneapolis, but then we got sidetracked to Kansas City, and now we're in Detroit, and and we don't care where we play. We're just here to play. The Vikings and Frazier and that entire team had been dragged through so much that it it was dead, but it was also dead in a weird way. It wasn't like a normal atmosphere is gone it was just it was it really felt like what had been a continuation by that point of this just season-long death march 
And you're, well, and, and you yeah. can tell in their play too. It was a twenty-one to three loss. Oh, they didn't they, give a damn, and I don't blame them. Tavares started. It wasn't right? really. A, what's that? Tavares started right. Tavares Jackson play. was totally ineffective. The Giants at that time, I think, were eight and four. They were certainly in the playoff hunt, and yeah, they definitely had the advantage because you know playing in the Metrodome, even when the Vikings aren't playing well, is a tough place to play. Yes, suddenly a neutral yeah. site against an opponent that's basically shell shocked. Uh, that was an easy win. I mean, it might have been a tough travel experience, but the Giants really got an easy check mark in the win column. Yeah. Um, but what was going on at that point? Because I was on the phone with, uh, as you said, Lester Bagley and a couple other Vikings executives. Because the story was at this point, okay, fine, you managed to get to Detroit to play this game, but now in a week you have a home game scheduled against the Chicago Bears, another a Monday night game. A scheduled Monday night game, but not only that, this is the 50th anniversary celebration for the franchise. You've had invitations go out to all these former Hall of Fame, mostly Hall of Fame players and franchise stars. You have a big celebration downtown uh, the night before the game. This is a major event. You don't even have a venue for this right now. It seems obvious the the, the Metrodome is not going to be repaired in five days if it's going to be No, And your only option is TCF Bank Stadium at the University of Minnesota, which was only open for a year, but it's an outdoor venue that wasn't prepared for winter. They had already winterized the place, shut off the plumbing, the electricity, and there's two feet of snow on the field. How are you going to pull that off? And that became the drama for the next days is how are they going to do this? So so the move to to the Giants – Vikings game at Ford Field was just this quick burst of what the hell. Um, what you and they had, the, and the real big reason was Fox had its TV cameras yes. there from a game on Sunday. Yes, and the league just said, "Look, we can just plug in and play and move on." They looked, so they were talking St. Louis and Indianapolis yeah. and a couple, but Detroit seemed like, and the Vikings were familiar with the venue, so that's why it ended up in Detroit. Yes. But they, plan B for the next week. Yep. And so they, yeah. So, so then the talk became, because I remember vividly at that point, Murph, they were talking to, I want to say Detroit about going back just from a football standpoint, they were talking about going back to Detroit. They, I remember they were talking about Atlanta, the Georgia dome as well. And then maybe Indianapolis again, um, because the dome was toast. Like the dome was done. Uh, it, it was going to take months to, to get a new roof, like you had to go buy a new roof. Uh, the turf had to be all taken out, and so the dome was toast. So the football operations people, I think, said the logical step now is to go back on the road again and do the exact same thing. It's a pain, it's not fun, but it's safe. But you just brought up what was what became only a 2010 thing which is 50 years of Vikings football will be celebrated on Sunday night before the Monday night game against Chicago at the Minneapolis Convention Center. And damn it, this is going to be a gala to beat gala. I mean, we got everybody coming. We've got everyone, uh, greatest living legends. They're all going to be there. And I think, and I don't know this for a fact, Murph, but I think the business operations people at some point in time basically got on the train tracks and said, you can't move this game. Like, we can't have the Minnesota right. Vikings in Atlanta, Georgia, and the night before be like, welcome Fran Tarkington. Like, that doesn't work. Um, and so it became this it became this push and pull of can we get TCF Bank Stadium opened up, to your point, for a football game. 
And the starting point was was not just the uh, the stands uh, being filled with snow and the bathrooms. I don't think were, were equipped for temperatures that close that uh, that cold for the toilets to be flushed. But the starting point was they didn't have heating coils in the turf. Right. And so that is where a huge point of contention. And and now and now you would never get away with doing that because it's dangerous. Um, But the talk was immediately, can you keep the turf warm for an entire football game and keep it safe? And the response of the business people, I think, was, hell yeah, we're going to give this a shot. And the response of the players was, that's not gonna, going to work. The short-term fix was to put was to get the field shoveled off so the snow was all gone, put a tarp on the field, and then have um, heaters below heat below that tarp, which works perfectly to heat the turf as long as the tarp is on the field. Once the tarp comes off the field, you've got big problems. Right, and the way it played out that Monday, I was down on the field shortly before the game just kind of taking all of this in. Um, and it was, of course, snowing like hell that day as well. Yeah, another, 20, you're right. I think we got about four to six inches, and it started around 3 in the afternoon, mm-hmm. 7.30 games. So, yeah, they had, the, they had the covering on there. They had the heaters blowing, and that was fine. But at a certain point, they had to pull it off for warm-ups. They had to pull it off to then plow the snow that was continually falling. Mm-hmm. And it didn't take long before it be- basically became concrete again. And if you remember, during the days leading up to that game, Chris Cluey, the punter, who was also the player rep mm-hmm. for, the, for the union, uh, either went out on Twitter or talked publicly about, hey, you know, this is this is dangerous. Uh, this is a concussion waiting to happen. We don't need this. And, of course, the Vikings were all, whoa, 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 whoa. You're just a punter. Stay in your lane. You don't know what you're talking about. There's too much momentum and too much at stake. We're going to make this work. Hell, these guys used to play on the frozen tundra at Met Stadium, blah, blah, blah. Yes, that was the whole thing. You're right. And then look what happens. That Lo and behold, Brett Favre in the second quarter gets pancaked onto the turf and, of course, suffers probably the worst and certainly final concussion of his career. He was knocked out cold on the field. I mean, Cluey, for all of his uh, eccentricities, was pretty prophetic right there. If I recall correctly, Murph, um, I think it was Cluey and a few players had, when we talked to them during the course of that week in the buildup to that Bears game, I want to say that they had that they had been um, concerned, like it talked about. Yeah, it's a frozen field; it's not safe, and we trusted what they said. But you know, pe- people were from the team definitely pushing back at that point. What I remember vividly is I want to say that they took the team down late Sunday morning uh, to TCF Bank Stadium for a walkthrough. Basically, you're going to play here, and this is what the field is going to be like. And I remember it was that afternoon on Sunday, and obviously the game was played on Monday night, that Chris Cluey tweeted something along the lines of, I really appreciate all the work that people have done They've tried hard, like, like you know, good work, but we can't play. He basically said, we can't play. This is going to, and I think the last part of the tweet was, this is going to get somebody killed. That's what it was, and yes. I And I remember going to, to the event at uh, the convention center that evening, and I asked somebody about the tweet, or basically was trying to get information about just how bad the field was, 
and I was intercepted by a member of the team, was it the PR staff, who basically said what you just said, which is, come on, that's the punter talking. You really, come on, don't, you, you that, that's the punter. Don't concern yourself. And it wasn't that the PR guy had bad intentions, but he had clearly been told by people above him, probably from the business operations, this has to work, right? And so, Absolutely. and so, Cluey, you're right, eccentric, odd guy, a punter, but in this case, he was exactly right. And that, and and so they started that game. It had snowed a lot that day. And they started the game, and I want to say I was told that for the first part of the opening quarter, the field was fine. And then the tar- the tarp uh, the tarp was gone. The heat blowing below the tarp was gone as well. And I think it was about halfway through the first quarter that they said the field froze. Uh, and Devin Hester, I think, returned a cluey punt for a touchdown. And I just recall him basically running and sliding at the same time, like down the field on ice skates. Um, and then, and then to the last point with Brett Favre, Corey Wooten beats, I believe it was Bryant McKinney, if I'm not mistaken, beats him pretty cleanly and uh, hits Favre from behind. And uh, Brett was done. Brett wasn't. And you are correct. As far as we could tell, he was knocked out completely. Like there, there was no movement. It was incredibly scary. Uh, and Cluey had warned of exactly that. That was the one thing he said was, "There's a chance that we're going to get a person killed here." It's one of the few times I kind of went blank there for a while in my career. Um, just a, the way I, I guess, was slung around on the turf. Um, what I wouldn't say it was necessarily the, the hit as it was how. Hey, Father. Father, Father Tommy, I, my parish priest from back home. Okay, thank you. It, it's it's doing okay though. This is when I hit the turf. Do I think the cold had something to do with it? Um, I wouldn't think so. But I thought the field conditions were, in spite of some of the reports, I thought all things considering were were good. And of course, it being 2010, Brian Murphy, that person was almost Hall of Famer Brett Favre. It has to be Brett Favre, right? So the lasting image, you know, he threw a touchdown pass to Percy Harvin early in the game. That was his final touchdown pass of his career. And then, again, the lasting image is him kind of woozily getting let off the field and into the locker room where it was over. Yep. That's 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 kind of the la- it's a little bit of his YA Tittle kind of moment, you know, that iconic photo of YA Tittle with his hands on his hips and on his knees with the yeah, with the blood. You're right. Hands on that <laughs> was never his last. It. Yeah, it was just that sort of image of, you know, here's an old athlete. It's over, and this is what the, the sport can do to somebody physically. And that image of Brett Favre just kind of staggering off that field. I mean, look, it doesn't diminish his 20 year Hall of Fame career, but it was a fitting end to an awful season for him. That's what I was going to ask you. Question. Both productively and personally. Question, and it it sounds mean now in uh, retrospect. But was that moment, in many ways, the perfect end for Favre to 2010? In some ways, yeah. Like, sadly, it was. Ten years from now, it's kind of what you would think. Yep. Um, It wasn't just his ankle, and it wasn't just his elbow, and it wasn't just his his shoulder, but it was sort of this, you're 40 years old, you've probably had a few of these in your career, Mm -hmm. you're tempting fate. Is this really worth it? 
did you really want to get on that plane at Hattiesburg? Is this what you, you could not have had this in mind no. when it was 100 degrees in Hattiesburg and said, all right, let's do it for the boys. And then you end on an icy, frozen, outdoor college stadium in a nothing game, getting pancaked on national television and having no idea where you were. And don't forget, and, and don't forget. Into a, a horrible year. And don't forget, too, that I believe it was on Saturday for the Monday night game when the Vikings issued the injury report for that game, Brett Favre was out. He was declared out. Until then, and I don't think I've seen this since, and I hadn't seen it before then, until then, I have never seen a guy declared out, and then he comes back to play. And I guess he called, what, Leslie and Sugarman, and he basically said, if you're declared out, are you done? Because I feel good enough to play on Monday morning. And and I'll never forget when the Vikings um, PR department called me and they said, Favre is now questionable. <laughs> and I said, what? You can't do that. Like, I thought for gambling purposes, right, that you couldn't do that. And, no doubt. And they took him from out, which means you're not playing, to questionable. And at that point in time, I thought, my God, he's going to play. He's going to, to play. And and that, to me, again, makes his departure from that game, sadly, all the more fitting because it was this guy who forced his way in, in Farvinian fashion, forced his way to play. He played and then got the ever-loving you-know-what knocked out of him that really was the last time that we'd see Favre on a field. Uh, in uniform. Yeah, and it was just – it was sad – but he was, he easily could have skipped that game, and nobody would have said a word. No, he would have been certainly forget. The streak was already over. That had ended with yep. that Giants game. So yep. there was really nothing at stake other than, hey, it's Monday night football. It's going to be outdoors in the snow. This is how I used to play at Lambeau. I'm going to have one more moment, not in the sun, obviously, but one more moment on the national stage, and it couldn't have ended any worse. Well, for the Vikings, it ended awfully. They got smoked 40-14. to 14. So now that all those good vibes or positive vibes that Frazier had, suddenly instead of a two-game winning streak, they're on a two-game losing streak, limping to the end, which sets up, of course, the following game, December 26th at Lincoln Financial Field in Philadelphia. The Philadelphia Eagles at the time were led by Michael Vick, who was having a comeback MVP-type season. They were in contention for the NFC East. Vikings just trying to get the season over. Uh, I know that the game was – uh, a Sunday night game on NBC. So being just, you know, I didn't want to travel on Christmas day. So I flew out Sunday morning. I get into the hotel at the Philadelphia airport Marriott at about, I don't know, 11 o'clock, 1130, maybe noon. I knew I had plenty of time before the game. I turn on the TV. I put on Fox's pregame show. And the first thing I see on the crawl at noon on Sunday, Vikings-Eagles game has been rescheduled for Tuesday night because of pending snowstorm in Philadelphia. (laughs) Poor Leslie. Yeah. And I'm like, I looked out the window. It was cloudy. It was flurrying. I didn't see any huge weather alerts or anything, but let's just say it barely snowed four to five inches. And this whole notion that, well, we had there was going to be high winds and we had to make sure that the city could plow the streets. Don't buy any of that. The NFL, basically, NBC had rights to the game. 
they weren't going to move it to Monday because ESPN, which had Monday night rights, said, hey, we did this for you two weeks ago with the Giants game in Detroit. We're not giving up the Monday night window again. You can move this game to Tuesday. Yep. And sure enough, it was Tuesday. So I had to call my, again, very pregnant wife <laughs> at noon saying, honey, I'm not coming home tomorrow. I will see you Wednesday. And that was an awful phone call to make. And the only thing I can remember from that point to kickoff was watching movies and drinking that bar dry. Oh, yeah, yeah. I got so. We did drink the Marriott bar dry. The airport Marriott ran out of beer. So Chip, so Chip and awesome. I, Scott Gus and I flew in on Christmas Day. Uh, we were staying at the hotel that the team stayed initially, which was the, the which was the Four Seasons in Philadelphia, not the landscaping company, the real Four Seasons, folks. This was nice. the hotel. Awesome. Hey, the strip uh, always could afford that stuff. <laughs> so we're, we were staying there, and then we got, and then no pun intended, we got wind of the storm, and this was so on Sunday. And I believe around the time that you flew in, Murph, they started to cancel flights for like Monday through Wednesday or something, or Monday and Tuesday. Oh, it was apocalyptic what they were predicting. And so Chip, uh, Chip and I, and Pelissero were like, "What the hell should we do?" So we we actually, and this was dumb, but it seemed smart with the snow being predicted. We actually picked up, checked out of the hotel. And went out towards the airport because we didn't know when the game was going to be played, when flights were going to become available again. Um, and it should be noted that the stadium's by the airport, right too, by the airport. It's it's ideal. So, and we checked into we checked into not the Marriott that you were at, but another Marriott property. It's not a Marriott though; it's like a businessman's hotel. Um, and so we went out there on Sunday, and then to what you're saying. We went out there and hunkered down and waited for the storm, right? So, like, it's going to, it's, hold on a second. Sunday night, she's coming in. And I remember it got windy. That was accurate. But the storm didn't start. And I think by the time that we got up on Monday uh, to drive back downtown, because uh, to go talk to Frazier at the hotel, I want to say the airport reported seven inches tops. That was it. That was the storm. Um, and then the, it was sunny and it was already melting. And, I remember. Yes. And if you recall, the Vikings had talked about flying home and flying back. Like they didn't know what to do. They didn't leave. Uh, I guess in in retrospect, a bunch of guys who were, you know, by that point in time, as done with the year as we were, went out to bars and just got totally drunk on Sunday. I don't blame them one bit. <laughs> Uh, they got in a fight, or they they nearly got you in a hear fight. Hear about that later on. Yeah, yeah Ben Lieber said something about that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But anyway, so so instead of the storm hitting, it didn't hit. Um, but yes, there is no question. ESPN said you are not going to put a nationally televised NBC game against us on Monday night. Bleep you! And so, and I believe until this year, I believe it was the only Tuesday night game since like 1943. I did. I, I looked back. If 1946 okay. had been the previous Tuesday night game, and then, yeah, with all the COVID. Uh, uh, now it's chaos, common. Now it's just common. They're, they're practically playing every day now. Exactly so, right. Tuesday night, it was ridiculous. You know, the Vikings, and at this point, too, Favre's done. And oh, they've got. They had not really done much. To be clear, in, they've got no chance in this game, right? Like, we're, all, we're all like, oh, this is going to be a massacre. The Eagles are going to kill them. 
No, the Eagles were very good. Michael Vick, again, was having an uh, MVP-like uh, season. And, you know, again, just another one of these. Uh, the Vikings are just going to get rolled because they're mentally fried, right? I mean, they're probably all hung over from those that went out on Sunday night, too. Yeah. Still into Tuesday. But anyway, they ended up going with Joe Webb, who was that sort of sixth-round <laughs> hybrid pick. What, are we gonna, what do we have in Joe Webb? What do we have to lose? Let's see what Joe Webb can do. Joe Webb had a great game. The Vikings defense blitzed the hell out of Michael Vick, and lo and behold, let me look at the score, 24-14. They handled the Eagles, absolutely handled them, and made uh, and probably at least solidified the case for Leslie Frazier to have the interim tag removed because not only had he managed all of this weather chaos that no other coach has ever had to deal with, he went out on the road and beat a playoff team with a guy who's barely a quarterback I think that ended up solidifying his role to get the head coaching job for the next three seasons. And, and I think if memory serves right, the Eagles, if they win that game, get a bye. Like they were playing yes. for, they were playing they for a, a bye. Stake. And then they end up getting, I believe they were one and they got bounced on wild card weekend. So then they, you know, they were, that ramifications of all that game, it's another hilarious part of the story. They fell apart. And that they was, did. that was they part did. of Andy Reid's yes, kind of legacy out of Philadelphia was why weren't they prepared to play? a dead team, and I think that was another nail in his coffin uh, when they eventually let him go. So I think that that game, I think that that four days, four days, right, five days, I think that that single-handedly, Murph, to your point, got Frazier the job because that team was fractured, goofed up, right? And that game, they played really well. Really mailing it in. And to Les's credit, he he did take a team that clearly had turned on Childress and had a lot of internal strife at that point in time. And he right. he smoothed things out a lot. So I think that that was the final thing that the Wilfs looked at with what Les did and said, that's impressive. But the other guy who we need to talk about, good position coach, a real first-class jerk, but a good position coach. But the other guy who got a job off that game, no question about it, Fred Pugich. Who had, who had been the <laughs> who had been the linebackers coach? The man hated the media. I mean, he he makes Trump look like he loves us. Uh, Pugich hated us, but what Pugich did was he was uh, tobacco chewing, old school. Let's play these games at two a.m. because I hate people, guy. Um, yes. <laughs> but do you remember the game plan? The defensive game plan Just was blitz, 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 and it was Winfield, Antoine Winfield, bingo. Right. He blitzed Winfield the entire, and it was, and, and the thing with Tuan was the guy was damn good. And so it worked. And Vic was, Vic was like, what the hell? Um, but they, they blitzed Antoine basically the entire game. The defensive game plan, which I'm guessing was a combination of Les and Pugich, was absolutely brilliant. And I do think that that was what got both of them jobs. Uh, because that, I mean, I thought they were going to lose by 30, and they actually look good, and more importantly, they probably they executed a game plan that by that point in time, with how lost that year was, a lot of teams, I think, would, would have told their coach to buzz off. Been like, we're not, who cares? We're not doing that. But they did it. They did. They bought in. I don't, I don't know if they, they sat there and said, let's win one for less or win one for ourselves or – you know, this is so absurd. Let's stick it to the NFL for making us play on Tuesday night. They have you know, conspiracy theorists out there are like, well, they want the Eagles 
They want Michael Vick to get to be on a big platform. They got a game against Dallas next week. Yep. Let's make it easier for Philly and keep keep the Vikings here for three days. You know, there's a lot of that chatter post game. No, I, well. I think it, I think what we saw it was basically a TV feud. And I think that they really did think that that storm was huge. Like the entire, in fact, I think the mayor shut the town down for seven inches of snow. Shut the town down. So and, that and was the not governor, a football. I read back in the, the clips, governor. governor Ed Randell at the time, That's big Eagles fan. That's what it was. I think he had a podcast or a, a show on one of the local talk stations was just ripping the league on Monday morning. Like, we're Philadelphians. We know how to handle snow. What is this about? How can we not be playing? You know, Chuck Bednarik is rolling in his grave. But they did shut the town down. Snow, right? Um, what's that? They shut the town down. The town was shut down. The <laughs> the freeways were shut. Yeah, they were for oh, that's right. We had two weeks earlier, and we just kind of muddled through it. They thought we're not going to be able to function for days. That's what it was, Murph. They 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 uh, partially postponed it. I forgot this. They partially postponed it because I think that they did shut the freeways down and they basically said fans can't get there. And if fans can't come, we're not playing. Um, but my contention now in retrospect was, was, and this is a really weird place to be from the Viking standpoint. They had the, in their minds, they cared so little by that point because things had gone so wrong that they had nothing to lose. Like, they had probably yeah. been drunk for two days. Um, they got a game plan. But it was so it was so laughable. Uh, you know, your stadium roof collapses, and two weeks after that, you're delayed for three days? Like, think about that. If that took place in a five-year period, you'd say, wow, that's a lot in a five-year period. So I really think that that team was to a point of it, it had turned comical. And so they just shrugged and said, okay, what the hell? Well, we'll put a bow on this here quickly. Um, they ended up going to Detroit for their regularly scheduled game against their division rivals to end the season on January 3rd. Ended up, uh, what, 6-10, and 10, I think, was their record because of that? 5-11? and 11? One of the two. It doesn't matter. Frazier gets named the next day as head coach. Yep. They were terrible in 2011. They draft Christian Ponder. They ended up making a wild card game in 2012. Of course, Ponder's hurt. They lose at Lambeau. They go three and thirteen in twenty thirteen unless Frazier is gone. He's had somewhat of a comeback though. He's defensive coordinator for the Buffalo Bills this season, who are having a great year. Uh, he's being whispered as maybe a head coaching candidate, but you know, if anything, I think his lasting legacy in Minnesota will be he put a tourniquet on a season that was just on a patient that was bleeding out. The the, the franchise, the front office, the fan base, everybody was just exhausted and dying and, and and it was just an awful situation yep. not dying obviously but it was a mess and he came in very mild-mannered guy very steady stewardship yep. earned himself a chance to be an nfl head coach and i think his lasting legacy in minnesota will be he was the one that kept this from really just spiraling into hell <laughs> Yeah, so so they they um concluded the 2010 season at 6 and 10, then went 3 and 13, then went 10 and 6 and made the playoff game that you're talking about, then went 5 10 and 1 and that got him fired. Um Leslie is the nicest man that I will ever in my life cover. He is a great human. Like he is right. he and it's real. It's it's not fake. Um he is a coordinator. He should not be a coach. He is a coordinator and he's really good at that. Uh, but yeah, he, so he got stuck. I think he also, in fairness, 
to less. He sort of got stuck as well in in that whole thing where the Vikings didn't have a person in charge because it was it was Childress was coach and he had veto on the fifty three man roster right and Spielman was sort of his was I think Brad's lackey so Spielman did a ton of work but Brad told him what to do and then when Les got the job initially uh, for the two thousand and eleven season I remember they split the power down the middle, which was why you eventually had McNabb, who was uh, Les's guy, and you sure. and you had Ponder, who was Rick's guy. And then after 3-13, and 13, they said, this ain't working. They didn't fire Les, but that's when Rick got the GM job. And like Rick or not, they needed that. Um, so I think, I think Les... I think Les ended up in the end of what I would probably call Vikings dysfunction. Like they still have weird things, but I don't think they're dysfunctional now. Do you? I don't think that they're a dysfunctional. No, it's never felt like. That. Yeah, I mean, um, I think and, and off-field problems either. I mean, they didn't have any issues really on the last couple of years with Childress, and certainly under Frazier, that's yeah. been tightened up as well. Yes, uh, should be noted too. Yes. Um, it's interesting how, you know, we didn't know at the time, of course, that TCF Bank Stadium was going to be a temporary home for the Vikings while after they eventually did get a stadium deal to replace the Metrodome. So they did end up going back to TCF Bank Stadium for two seasons. By that time, they had put heating coils underneath. The Vikings paid for it. <laughs> Vikings had to pay for it, yes. and it was critical because if you remember that playoff game against Seattle where it was 30 below zero. Didn't help Larry uh, Walsh, Murph. A miserable experience for players as well. Uh, if they were getting slammed into the into the turf as well, so it kind of became it was almost a dress rehearsal for what came to be uh, in terms of the great stadium debate. Um, I, you know, so I'm almost exhausted telling all of this story, but I was just going to kind of touch base, just get everyone's final thoughts. I mean, you cannot. I remember saying it at the time, and it's certainly been the case ten years later. There is no NFL team, and certainly in the modern era that has had that many self-inflicted wounds, breaking news stories, major player acquisitions, epic losses, infighting, palace intrigue, and then have your home stadium fall down and have to play three home games in three different places in a 10-day span and then get stranded and have to play on a Tuesday. I mean, no NFL team before or since has ever had to endure what the 2010 Vikings did. And it's, it's amazing. They got to the finish line. I think it's fair to say this, and this might be hyperbole on my part, but I think it's fair to say COVID and what we've been through and what football has gone through in 2020 would be a speed bump in 2010. Like it wouldn't surprise you. Like there was nothing by the end of that year there was nothing that, but by the time that we were in Philly and that game got postponed, I had gone from shaking and overwhelmed to crazy. I was giddy. I was laughing. I, I was like, yeah, of course, of course. Like I had reached my breaking point, but what's the point past a breaking point? And that's where that was. Um, so yeah. And, and look, there is nobody who played on the 2010 Vikings who can find a similar year. I, I remember during the craziness, I want to say was it the craziness of 2016 um, when Teddy broke his leg, 
his leg shattered, and the Vikings got off to a 5-0 and start, and then they lost at Philadelphia, and Zim called them <laughs> soft, and they completely yes. collapsed, and there were things there. I remember at uh, late in that year, as the train came off the tracks, guys, I remember I went up to postgame, Brian Robinson's locker, and I'm like, okay, Brian, let's talk about it. He's like, what? I'm like, 2010 or this. And he gave it a lot of thought and he gave me an answer, but it ended with, you're not going to top 2010. You're not going to. And, and that's fair. Like, there's no way that you can accumulate enough crap. Your quarterback's leg can snap. You, you can get off to a great start and then go cold. Uh, your coach can cut kickers. You can have a lot of things go wrong, but you will never accumulate the baggage on a weekly basis that 2010 did. I don't care how much longer we play football. I don't care how much you go and look at teams like the Browns or your Lions. I don't think you will ever, ever have that many things of of close to catastrophic nature continually go wrong. No, not in a five to six month period. Hey, Declan, just real quick, as a fan, what? how did you ride that roller coaster? Oh, man. He got off, I'm sure, like most fans probably did. I mean, it's it's pretty remarkable they finished 6-10. and 10. <laughs> Like, it's honestly remarkable yeah. they got to six wins with three different home venues, a disgruntled former star being in and out of here within three weeks. It's pretty insane. I mean, even even my own personal tales of, being in the parking lot at high school when the Moss trade goes down, having tickets to the game where a roof collapsed. I'd even bring up the fact that when they played in Philadelphia, actually I traveled that day. I, at the time, my sister was getting married to her, at what, that, what was then her first husband, and we were meeting her family. So I'm watching, I'm watching this Vikings-Eagles game in Florida while it's 75 degrees out. And I, again, I'm just trying to wrap my head around this season and watching Joe Webb tear up Michael Vick and the Eagles. Um, just the craziness of, of the year and how surefire it was in, in my mind that we could run this back and do it again and go right back to the NFC Championship game and they couldn't do it. And Favre yeah, being basically lifeless on the TCF Bank Stadium, I think that kind of really just summed it up. Brett Favre literally looking dead on the field and, and the fact that they get the six wins was was remarkable. And even how going into the next draft, that that was the Ponder draft. So then that started a whole new chapter of Vikings lore. So it is one of the most remarkable, dysfunctional seasons um, in, in not just NFL history, but I think in sports. Plus, I, I think, too, in, in some ways, it prepared us for COVID in 2020 because the 2010 Vikings season is one in which I think, Murph, by the time we got to, to uh, the roof collapsing, the Moss thing seemed like it had taken place three years before. <laughs> like this right. year has gone on, right? It's never ended. 2020 never ends. Like March, March to me of 2020 seems like 2006. Um, by the time that we got to, to the snow out in Philly or the roof collapsing, like that Jets game that we talked about or, right. or Moss being traded here. That all felt like it had taken place in 2007. Like that year never ended. I mean, just think in the calendar, too, on January 24th, they were a field goal, 
a sure thing Ryan Longwell field goal yes. from making the Super Bowl yeah. to 52 weeks later, a year later, 12 months, to just being this wrung out husk of a team that had to endure everything. And again, the media, the fans, everybody was brought along with it and was just exhausted by it. Um, the good thing is uh, it's been great talking to you guys about this and reliving this. I'm almost sweating just thinking about it. I was going to say, that. I need therapy Chad, now. We were able to talk to Chad Greenway. Uh, we were able to connect with Chad Greenway for like a bonus episode. So not just our whiny media perspectives of it, but an actual guy who was there in the trenches, in the locker room. He had some very interesting perspectives about Brad Childress, about Randy Moss, and just enduring that whole roller coaster ride of a season. So hopefully you've enjoyed these three episodes. We'll uh, uh, we'll have Chad Greenway kind of put a bow on it uh, next up. And uh, hey guys, thanks for for having me and let me play in the toy box. Thanks, Murph. Appreciate it. It's I, well, I can't say it's been fun. Uh, it's been interesting <laughs> to relive ten years back. All right, guys, take care.